This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 146. Today on our show, Jay Morrison. Joe Burrow doesn't do that. If things go haywire and they don't get the look that they're expecting to get, he finds ways to extend the play and, and make things happen. There is definitely no no panic in that guy. And there's, there's something to the fact that he had the greatest college football season of all time, and he did it in the toughest league. Jay is the Bengals beat writer for TheAthletic.com. He joins us to discuss what a beat reporter does, the future prospects of the Bengals and Joe Burrow, the rivalries with Pittsburgh and Cleveland, and a whole lot more. Now, we recorded this two weeks ago uh, before the disaster in Washington, so uh, understand that our conversation about Joe Burrow mostly, uh, he was healthy at the time, but I still think it applies, so I think you're going to enjoy uh, Jay's in-depth analysis of the Bengals and uh, all in the NFL. He's some interesting things to say about the league uh, as well. And if you're liking the podcast, you can help support it by PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and ship in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Jay Morrison. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. In a while, I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. You're just talking about Zoom and how the you know the world's different now and everything. I've had my first uh, positive experience last night. This has nothing to do with anything, but I, I opened the door this morning and there was a Papa John's pizza and a two liter of uh, Dr. Pepper sitting on my doorstep because they uh, must have misread the address. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought I thought that was a, a pleasant surprise. Well, there you go. You know, if it was a little bit colder, maybe it wouldn't wouldn't have gone bad. But uh, anyway, I thought that was uh, that was an amazing day to way to start my morning. If only they knocked, and I could have gotten it last night. But oh, you found it this morning. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> so it was just a oh well a treat. I was like, wait a second, was I uh, so messed up that I ordered that last night? <laughs> about it, but it was a, it was a rough day yesterday. In a good way, but um, yeah. You weren't yeah. suspicious that it was an enemy and it was a tainted pizza. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Mm, I guess oh yeah. Never know. It's <laughs> no, oh, you'll know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so we're here with uh, Jay Morrison from the uh, what Bengals beat writer for the Athletic. dot com. Is that uh, your official title? And did I get that right? That is right. Yes. I've been with The Athletic since August of 2018. I was with the uh, Cox newspaper chain, which is Dayton Daily News and Hamilton Journal uh, for 25 years before I made the leap to The Athletic. Nice. And The, uh, the Athletic is uh, fairly new, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. It was uh, 2017. It was founded in just a couple cities and quickly grew. And now we're in all major league cities, uh, London, um, just keep branching out. Great EPL coverage for fans out there that like uh upper tier soccer um we just just keep plugging along keep adding markets and adding writers and trying to give people sports journalism they feel is is worth paying for yeah that's awesome so everybody was just sick of espn being the only voice they got or uh what was the what void did it fill there yeah i think that was it was more a target at newspapers than it was at espn um just the the you could kind of see I was getting frustrated with this too the way newspapers had become um, more of kind of like I don't want to say clickbait but it was just any little thing that happened they wanted two or three paragraphs right away you, you never really had time to to flesh anything out it was all about just getting something up right away and um, our founders wanted to get into in-depth journalism and um, the, the motto at the beginning was kind of don't be first, be best and, and really take your time on a story and, um, you know, develop, flush out all the leads. And um, that, that's the way we started. We, we've kind of pivoted recently where we where it's a mix. 
you, you get the in-depth feature stories, but we've also added, it's kind of like our version of Twitter. It's, it's called real time. And we are, um, we are putting out those little quick little bursts that, you know, maybe it's newsworthy, but it's not worthy of a thousand, 1500 word story. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I remember when we, uh, you know, everybody knew Joe Burrow was coming to Cincinnati, yet every writer in every other city was thinking of reasons why he shouldn't go and <laughs> all the gloom and doom and he's not coming here and there's no way he's, you know, I don't know. Like I could see where there's really no evidence that he wasn't coming here, but everybody was kind of, you know, trying to make that the the narrative, as they as they say. But, yeah, he never said anything of that sort, and people were just assuming that, that – for some reason that Cincinnati is this, this quarterback graveyard. When you look at, you know, Carson Palmer did all right. Andy Dalton did all right. It's not, they obviously they haven't won a playoff game since 1990, but it's not like this is a place that quarterbacks come to die. And it was, it was just really great at the combine. You know, there's this massive crowd around the podium where, where Joe Burrow is going to be. And he, he just dispelled that myth right off the bat and said, I just, I don't want to be presumptuous and say that I'm going to be the number one overall pick, but if I am, I'm going to go play football. I'm a football player. That's what I do. And I will go to Cincinnati. And that just kind of shut down that whole narrative right there in February. Well, I come from the place where quarterbacks go to die. So that's, that's (laughs) number one. And number two, I was thinking about this in my notes about Burrow is that really it's a crapshoot no matter where you are, because I was looking up some of the stats for the, uh, you know, when people started rookie quarterbacks, you know, and, um, we're probably up close in age. Elway's first season, he was not that good. Peyton Manning was not that good. And then Lamar Jackson, of course, last year was really good. So you you just don't know. And I think, you know, as a dis, uh, detached observer, Bengals aren't my favorite team, but uh, I, I think Burrow's the real deal so far. Yeah, he's really been impressive. I, I had a, a story that we put up Monday kind of comparing where he is through his first eight games uh, and compared that with like the 20 best rookie seasons since Peyton Manning in 1998 and he's, he's top 10 in every category except yards per attempt. And he's 11th. Um, And you don't, you don't know. I mean, one of those best rookie seasons ever, the the guy that has the record for most touchdown passes in a rookie season is now getting questioned whether he's the answer for that franchise. And that's Baker Mayfield up in Cleveland. Came out like a a house of fire, just really took over in week three with Tyrod Taylor got hurt and just hit the ground running. And then, when they fired Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchens took over. He got even better. He just kept getting better that entire rookie season. And then we've seen him level off. And just some of the things that with the growth we've seen from Joe Burrow, I don't know that he's going to be able to be on that Baker Mayfield trajectory just because he's been so good so early. I don't know if he can if he can keep getting better this year. You assume he's going to get better as his career goes along. But that was kind of the point of my story on Monday is um, maybe most quarterbacks – that that start fast as rookies, they kind of level off or fall off in the second half of their rookie year, whether it's the rookie wall or defenses getting used to them, uh, seeing more stuff on, on tape they can exploit. Um, but I, I think a lot of Bengal fans would be more than happy to see a leveling off and seeing a, fir- a second half that looked a lot like the first half in terms of his performance. Obviously, they'd like to see a few more wins. And Lamar Jackson, uh, I mean, he's had an okay year. They're they're, they're still what six and two, five and two, six and two. The Ravens are, but yeah, his numbers are not like you know like they were last year, where he was just you know just killing it. But he's doing you know what he needs to win. So you know, it's, you just like I said, you just you just never know. The Bengals of all people figured him out. Right, I mean, that, <laughs> they, they held that that offense to one of its lowest rushing totals and held Lamar to his most or not not his worst game, but one of his worst statistical games in the Bengals defense has been not very good at all this year, but you know, even they saw things on film that they could exploit and you, that's just, that happens in this league. You have to be able to adapt. You can't just come out and say, this is who I am. And this is what, what I do teams, coaches, they're going to catch up to you in this league. And uh, I think that's, what's so encouraging about Joe Burrow is just the way it, it, not his physical skills, but the way his mind works. Um, I don't know if you guys had a chance to read Paul Daner's story that accompanied my story on Monday about, the, uh, the coaches that have had the that worked the closest with him picked out their three favorite plays that Joe Burrow had this year. And just some of the detail they are about how fast he recognized things and the, and the way he can adjust on the fly. I mean, it's really impressive. I mean, you if you watch that Monday night game, I know it's Tom Brady's playing for a new team, new offense, but he's got the wristband with all the plays. 
almost every quarterback has that. Joe Burrow's a rookie, and he's not wearing a wristband. He's got everything in his head. That's what's really been the most important or most surprising and most impressive thing. Is that a look at the Bengals? Like maybe their play calling and uh, playbook isn't as in-depth as other teams? Or you think their their teams or their our offense is just as complicated as anybody's? Yeah, you don't you don't see the all the the I mean there is a lot more motion than it used to be under Marvin. You don't see all the the crazy formations. I, I don't know. Complicated might be if that's the right word. I mean they it's, it's they've got a lot of plays in that in that playbook. It, it's not like it's a dialed down, dumbed down. Hey, let's let's ease the rookie in. They threw everything at him, and and he picked it up in the off season. And that was one of the things that when we're on zooms with these players and these coaches, like since the off season began, everybody talking about how impressed they were with his leadership and just that that swagger and that confidence he brings to the building, but also his command of the offense, how fast he picked it up and just took ownership of it. And part of that too is these coaches, you know, being willing to adapt and not being in a my way or the highway type of situation where, okay, now you're in Cincinnati and this is how we do things. They sat down with Joe and they said, what did you like best about what you ran at LSU? And then they incorporated a lot of that. I mean, we see it, uh, all these, these five wide sets that they run, which seems like insanity when you've got an offensive line as bad as the Bengals, but that's where Joe Burrow shines. He's got five guys out there and he knows where that throw needs to go before the ball snapped. And he, he, he get, he finds the open man, which of those five he's going to, and he's just been lethal in that 10 to 19 yard range, just throwing darts. Uh, as soon as he, as soon as he gets the deep ball part of this down, which is going to come more with building chemistry with T Higgins and AJ green and those type of things. Um, This offense is really going to take off. Yeah. That's what Mo was saying. I thought that was a good point too. It's like, it's not really Joe's fault for not having the deep ball because our team's not really set up for the deep ball. I mean, AJ is not what he used to be our offensive line, you know? Yeah. I guess we were good against Tennessee, but you know, it's been abysmal for, for the most part. It's just kind of like, man, you know, I don't know how you really expect him to, uh, you know, to, to, to figure out how to go downfield. And do you well, I mean, the- you watch some of these teams and when they miss on deep balls, these young quarterbacks are way under throwing it or way over throwing it. And that's not been the, I mean, a lot of these, these deep misses that, that Joe's had right off the bat have just, just been a tick off. Uh, yeah, the, the, like the first play of the game against Cleveland, that week two game in Thursday night, just kind of led him a little bit too far out bounds. Uh, there was one that, that AJ Green dropped in the, in the Indianapolis game. Um, there, there's been a couple other that have, have been right there. And it's just, it's just one of those things where, the, you know, getting, just getting to know the guys he, that there was, there was the one, um, I believe it was the Jacksonville game early on where it was a broken play and he saw it and he signaled to AJ to go deep and AJ did go deep and it, it was a touchdown and AJ ran to the pylon and Joe thought he was just going to keep going straight up toward the, the goalpost. And, AJ went straight up the goalpost. Joe thought he was going to go to the pylon and they were, it was just a, a communication thing. It was there, but yeah. it's just, they hadn't run that scramble drill before next time they'll know. Um, so I, I think you're going to see that get better. Even if the offensive line doesn't get appreciably better. And do you think the defense not being, you know, as good as putting, you know, more pressure on him to light and he would, you know, his numbers would be that much better if it the onus wasn't on the offense to kind of keep them in games. I don't know. I, I think the the bad defense almost helps him because I mean, you look at that Cleveland game. They they kept taking the lead, and then if the defense can get a stop, they can kind of run the ball and run the clock out. But then the defense gives up the lead, and then so then Joe's got to drive the team down the field again. They've they've played from behind uh, quite a bit in second halves, and he's been forced to throw the ball. So I, I do think they they he's proven to be an answer guy whenever something goes wrong he's got an answer usually on that very next play if not you know sometime on that drive it, he he always finds a way to to overcome whatever obstacles in his way whether it's giving up the lead or uh you know taking a sack or it's third and seven and a guy false starts and now all of a sudden it's third and 12 and he throws a 14 yard completion for a first down. He just, he always finds a way. So once, once this defense does get better and, and, and can start stopping teams regularly, that's when I think you're really going to see this team take off and have that playoff window kind of fly open there. I, I know everybody's, 
kind of hoping that's going to be the case in 2021. And you were and, talking about how, oh, there's there's actual hey, Josh, Josh Need. Need here, special guest on the podcast. <laughs> oh, stop it! I'm sorry. No, you're good. We're, we're just, just talking Bengals. Yeah, we've uh, we're covering Burrow and and so forth, and uh, and how he's been doing as a rookie. And uh, I was going to ask Jay. It had mentioned about uh, how they brought in some of the same sets he used at LSU. And a lot of things we hear uh, why guys don't make it in the NFL is the number one thing is that it's just too fast for them. The NFL moves way faster than college. But as we've seen, the top college programs, you know, get more pro-like. Do you think that curve is kind of diminished a little bit now? Yeah, no, because it's still superior athletes. Yeah, we, we've seen this with Joe early on where he's running around in the pocket and he's trying to pull out spin moves and extend plays. And, mm-hmm. and you can juke those defensive linemen in college. You can't do that in the NFL. He's, mm-hmm. he's taken a couple shots he shouldn't have. Uh, and I think he's learned, but he's also made some crazy plays. You look at that Tennessee game where he, I think he broke four tackles in the backfield and kept that play alive. And there was that play in Philadelphia where Zach Taylor's screaming at him to throw the ball away. And he's, kind of moving toward the sideline, moving toward the sideline, extending, and he finally hits T. Higgins for a, a big completion, um, and he just kind of laughs at Zach for telling him to throw it away, and he made the completion. Now, the completion didn't count because T. Higgins stepped out of bounds, and it was an illegal catch, but I, I think it, it, it does lead to more comfort, the fact that it's it's more of this spread offense, and it's similar to what they're running, not just in college, but, geez, high schools are running this now, junior highs. Are, I mean, this is just these all these seven-on-seven passing leagues. That's what these guys are used to is just throwing the ball around like that. But it's still – there's still a big curve when you get to the NFL with with the speed of the players um, and just the, the complexities of the defenses. That's where Joe's – what we were talking about earlier with, with his brain and his comprehension of this, that's what's really helped him slow down the game. Do you also think that there's a, a significant improvement in just like athletic ability too? I mean, just, I, I just, I feel like I would watch other teams and be jealous that it seemed like they have a quarterback who could like flick his wrist and throw it 40 yards the way that like, you know, Cam Newton or, uh, or Lamar Jackson or those guys could. And I've seen that from Joe where it's just like, it just seems a little bit more effortless for him to throw it farther than it did for Andy. Is that something that you've noticed? Uh, Yeah, a little bit, but there again, coming out, that was the knock on him was arm strength. And it, 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 that's not, it's not been an issue because how many times are you dropping back and chucking the ball 50, 60 yards? I mean, where the arm strength really comes into play is, you know, when you have to throw a 20 yard out across the field and it's not the deep ball so much as it is getting that ball into tight windows and tight coverage. And that has not been an issue. He's been really good at, at rifling those balls in there. You look at some of his interceptions, they've been like the indie game where he just didn't see the safety. There was the, the, the shovel pass that he threw in the opener against San Diego. There was the one against Jacksonville that went that basically the linebacker took right out of Drew Sample's hands. He's got a good enough arm. It's, it may not be Patrick Mahomes elite, but it is. It's stronger than Andy Dalton's. Um, he's he's more athletic than Andy Dalton. Now, Andy had a, a lot of rushing touchdowns, but it was you know catching teams by surprise. Uh, Joe's already got three this year. Um, I, I think the biggest difference between Joe and Andy is Andy's pocket awareness was really bad. It got better as he as he matured and got deeper in this league. But Joe just has that natural feel. He doesn't have to drop his eyes to see where the rush is coming from and take it off of the routes. He just feels it. And so he can lock in on his progressions and where he needs to go with the ball. And he's just kind of got that sixth sense where he can just just barely move and, and avoid a rush. And then if if he does need to leave the pocket, he's not just tucking and running. He's still looking downfield as he's on the run, waiting for someone to break open. And if they don't, then he'll pull it down and, and he'll he'll take he'll take off and run with it. But um, that's that's just been the most impressive thing to me is the, the, just that feel he has in the pocket. Most most guys that takes a couple of years to kind of get comfortable with that. He's got it right off the bat. But it, but does he also seem to not panic? I mean. Sometimes I wonder if I if I believe stuff about Andy Dalton because I read it so much on Twitter from people who are just <laughs> armchair quarterbacks that, you know, like Andy could never show up for primetime games. Like there was like a, it seemed like there was a history of like 
nationally televised games or, or sometimes even in the playoffs where it seemed just like the moment was too big for Andy. And if that was the case, do you think that Burrow being a Heisman Trophy winner and winning a national championship and having played in the biggest possible games in college make him better suited to handle moments like that or not not seem to be as nervous as, as sometimes Andy would look a little bit rattled in those moments? Yeah, I think there's something to that. And and there's something too that we've we've seen this from Joe already. Like Andy, one of Andy's maybe his biggest strength was was seeing what was coming. But making those checks at the line of scrimmage and knowing exactly what the defense was doing and getting getting the team into the right play. And that that's not an absolute. Sometimes you think you're getting it, you're you're getting your team into the right play, and the defense does something totally different. And when that would happen with Andy. It, he just that's when I don't know if panic's the right word, but it, it would just go haywire. And he was he would either take a sack or as he got older, he kind of learned to move on to the next play and just throw it away. Joe Burrow doesn't do that. If things go haywire and they don't get the they don't get the look that they're expecting to get, he finds ways to extend the play and and make things happen. Um, there is definitely no no panic in that guy. And there's there's something to the fact that he had the greatest college football season of all time and he did it in the toughest league. I mean, there he's playing in in tough environments um, every single week that he's on the road. And then those playoff the SEC championship game and then the two playoff games and you saw it in the national championship game. Clemson beat him up in that first quarter and things were not going well at all. And then everybody saw what he ended up doing. He lit him up. So yeah, there's he just has this supreme confidence about him. And we even kind of saw it in that Baltimore game when when things nothing was going right. And he he never really he wasn't hanging his head. He wasn't moping around. He, he, they were still out there fighting. And they you know finally put together a scoring drive at the end of that game. That is definitely I, what, whether that plays out in primetime. Who knows? There's so much that goes into that. I think a big part of what we saw with the Bengals struggles in primetime is is it was just magnified because it was under the lights, but we saw it in one o'clock games too. It was just typically when you're playing a primetime game, you're playing a better team. And that was always kind of the 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 mark of the Andy Dalton, Marvin Lewis Bengals is they beat the teams they were supposed to beat and they rarely beat the teams they weren't supposed to beat. Are you concerned at all with the uh Bengals ruining Burrow? Either by, you know, him taking too many hits this year or you know, whatever front office issues they've had with other players and, you know, just people getting just bitter over time or uh, you think maybe we're going to finally wake up to those situations and try to be a better, uh, better to our players or whatever the the issue is. Um, I, I, I'm not worried about them ruining him. He's, it just really feels like we're on the ground floor of something that's going to be special. The, the way they're playing now, they, they do need to get more protection for him. I think everybody holds their breath when he takes a hit because yeah. he takes so many of them and Not get ready. Really. He's kind of skinny. <laughs> he is, but he's a tough dude for how skinny he is. Um, but get ready. Cause Sunday it's the Steelers and they're, they're going to come. Um, we saw what they did to Andy Dalton in that primetime game last year in week four, I think it was eight sacks. And there was, there was a couple where he thought maybe they had to put a, a nose on or a mirror under his nose to see if he was still breathing. He's just, it looked like he was dead on the field a couple of times that, is what you worry about more than than them ruining him mentally because I do there's so many times this year we've said that the Bengals have done something that they don't normally do they they traded Carlos Dunlap they they never trade players in the middle of a season they went out and spent 130 million dollars in free agency they never do that um they it just feels like there's a realization that they they need to start doing some things that maybe they aren't comfortable doing and you know they they went into that this past off season knowing they needed a lot of help at linebacker a lot of help offensive line they said we can't fix them both in one off season so we're just going to pick one. And they went linebacker. They signed Josh Bynes. They drafted three of their seven picks with linebackers. Thought they had some offensive linemen that could get them through this season. Um, that's that's going to be the primary mission next offseason, both offensive line and defensive line, upgrading those uh, in free agency and the draft. And once once you get a – if they can go out and get a really good right tackle in, in the first round and you've got Jonah Williams at left tackle and whoever this new stud's going to be at right tackle – You've got those two pillars 
with Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd, all these guys under contract for the next few years, that really feels like the groundwork for, you know, a top 10 offense and a, a potential return to the playoffs. I always get made fun of, and I don't know if it's in my, uh, my nature as a Cincinnati sports fan in general to, to be an optimist and, and to try to find silver lining uh, in certain situations. Uh, I tend to have a higher faith in all of our sports teams than I probably should, but you know, we're at two, five and one. I look at the results this year, both Browns games, the chargers, the Eagles and the Colts were, were winnable games. Right. And if, if certain things happen that probably should have happened or could have happened to bounce the Bengals way, this team is seven and one right now. Is that crazy to think of it like that? Or is it that the Bengals find ways to lose these games versus like some, some bad luck or being on the cusp of being really good? Um, I, I think teams that are two, five and one, two and six, whatever they, they, they oftentimes say that, that we're just a few plays away, but it, it does really feel like that's the case with this team. I wouldn't I wouldn't include that first Cleveland game. I mean, they yes, they lost by five, but they were playing from two scores down most of that game. And the, you uh, know, yeah. they would they would score and get within one and the Cleveland would stretch the lead back out. Um, but the, the, those other games, you're right. Um, they're a play here or there away from being six and two right now. And I think part of that is rookie quarterback. Part of that is you know, starting a lot of young guys on defense because they've had so many injuries there. And let's face it, a, a young head coach, um, they're, they're, they're still figuring this thing out. And I, I said this at the beginning of the year that the, the, the second half of the season was really going to determine whether they've got the right guy in Zach Taylor, because you, you, it, it set up to be easier when you look at the opponents that they have. And it, it, it's just going to be important to, to start stringing some wins together in the second half and build some momentum for 2021. If, if they go, if they only get two wins again in the second half and they finish four, 11 and one, I mean, I think you're going to feel a lot different about this team than as opposed if they, even if they go four and four and, and still finish with six wins, it's a losing record, but Hey, you know, they were 500 in the second half of the season. You see some momentum building and, and really not just the number of wins, I think the game of the year is going to be that Monday night game against Pittsburgh, because that's going to answer your question about primetime. Um, if, if, if the lights are going to be too big for Joe Burrow, Bengal fans are starving for a win against the Steelers. And even I, I think Ben's going to play this Sunday. I, I don't, I just can't see him going into Pittsburgh and, and beating the Steelers in that defense. But, when you when you get into December and you get to that Monday night game and, and Joe Burrow's got another five games under his belt, I think that could really be a huge turning point. And then you look at the the season finale against Baltimore that that can really show you that was their worst game of the year. And, and that that game, even if they don't win it, um, if if Baltimore's playing for a playoff spot with everything on the line and the Bengals make that a, a good competitive game. You're going to, you're going to see growth from week five to week 16, just December in particular is going to be big, but, but here in November is going to be big as well, because you've, you've got the giants, you've got the Redskins, you've got winnable games and they do need to start building some momentum towards 2021. Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, I yes. And to come back. Huh. And he should come back. I mean, I, I, yes. I, I mean, I, I don't think the, the concussion's not an issue anymore. It's just COVID, and that that's not going to last that long. So, oh, he's got COVID now. Yeah, he missed last week's game. He was on the COVID last COVID oh, last week. That. Yeah, R- rough like, stretch for him. Concussion one week uh, and COVID the next. I thought they already gave up and said, "Hey, we'll <laughs> let this Gilbert guy go." No. I don't. I just can't imagine. I mean, well, they're probably just chilling at home, and you get a call saying, "Hey, you're going to be the starting quarterback for the uh, the Cowboys this week." Like what that Benucci guy or whatever, like where'd that guy come from? Like where did they just yeah. pull quarterbacks out? I, I, I'm just like picturing like major league, uh, you know, when they, <laughs> well, that's, they that's call happened. Uh, the, the, the catcher or whatever his name was. Crash Davis. Yeah. No, no. Crash Davis was Bull Durham. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Either way, like, yeah. I don't know what's happened with the quarterbacks, but uh, famously when, when I was a kid, a kick, the kicker for the Falcons 
uh, he was tending bar one week and kicking footballs the next. So that's that's not uncommon. Uh, well, somebody was bagging. Some quarterback was bagging groceries oh, yeah. one year. That was Kurt Warner, and he's Kurt in the Hall of Fame now. Yeah, Kurt Warner. That's yeah. who it was. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, getting back to the, the, we were talking about some of their teams in the division. The rivalry is what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, because how long have you been covering the Bengals, or been a Bengals fan, more accurately? I guess. It, well, I, I grew up a Bengals okay. fan. I, I went to the Freezer Perfect. Bowl. I went to Super Bowl sixteen. I, right. um, my my dad had season tickets growing up and went to a lot of games. Um, I, I've been covering them. Um, on a beat basis since 2012. Okay. So I've been a Browns fan since 1976. And for us, uh, the rivalry was always kind of like, oh, they're the in the same state with us. They're in our division. Uh, they seemed to alternate as I was growing up. One year they were good, and one year we were good, and, all, and back and forth. When I moved here in 94, I got a much different perspective on the rivalry. There was a Browns week, to my astonishment. I'm like, really? And then I found out like the Bengals fans hated the Browns. And it's like... Really? And then it, made, then it all made sense. I'm like, oh, we, we have a common enemy, as it later turned out. And um, I was always fat, was growing up as, and I guess you can speak to this too, uh, Josh, maybe not so much, Darren, because you're up from closer to where I am. But uh, was, yeah, was it always that an in, intense thing? Don? And did it get more intense or less intense? But I mean, it seems that until, you know, Art Modell moved the team, it was it was on every year. Yeah, it was because Art Modell fired Paul Brown and and that's how yeah. the Bengals came to be and I think you know that that I don't know how the the fan base got so rabid against Cleveland, but it was for, as far as the team goes, it was it was like that from the get-go. I did a, a story last week with Eddie Edwards about hanging on to his uh, career sack lead. D- Carlos Dunlap was one behind him and they traded him, so his 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 record stands <laughs> and Eddie talked about how like he, he really respected those Pittsburgh Steeler teams back in the day. And he, if the Bengals, if the Steelers aren't playing the Bengals, he roots for the Steelers, but he hates the Cleveland Browns. He still said there is one team I will never root for. And it's a clean, they could be playing the little sisters of the blind. He said, and I will root for the little sisters of the blind. He, he just said that when there was, when it was Cleveland week, like you said, it was a whole week that, that Paul Brown was just a different person and he was out at practices and he's encouraging, he's, you know, come on, it's the Browns this week. We got to have this one. And he's, he's just in the player's ears about how important that game was to him. And I guess, you know, maybe if the, the, the fans see that spirit and that fight from the team and then just the, the fact that it is the same state, um, I guess that just kind of builds. But I remember I, when I was in college, that was, I went to Ohio University and it was, you know, equal distance from Cleveland and Cincinnati. And there was a, a lot of Bengals fans, a lot of Browns fans. And it was that there was a lot of trash talk that whole week leading up <laughs> to the game. And I think it's kind of gone away because both teams have not really done so well over the last 30 years. Um, well, it, and it's more Bengals Steelers now because of. Well, yeah. And we've always hated the Steelers, too. We have a, we have a common enemy in that in that sense, too. But I think it's also I think when Modell moved the Browns. To Baltimore, mm. I think a lot of that went away because, uh, fun fact, the Bengals' first home game ever was September fifteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. That week, the Browns are on the road in New Orleans. Who comes down to Cincinnati to sit in Pitt Stadium? A big contingent of Browns fans to root on Paul Brown because we still love Paul Brown. We never didn't like Paul yeah. Brown. That's the thing. And a lot of people, even when the Browns were good and people were okay with Art Modell, they still did not like the fact that he fired Paul Brown. So we, people always kind of, even in Cleveland, kind of had a. Uh, you know, some some umbrage with uh, with Art Modell over that. So I just always thought that was interesting that 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 the the rivalry was that intense here and not really felt that much uh, in reverse. Yeah, I, I'd never heard that before. That's interesting that all the, the, the that many Cleveland fans came down to cheer yeah, on they Paul came down to cheer on the Bengals. Yeah, they they were in a completely different league at that point, even though the merger was already uh, you know planned and was going to be yeah. uh, consummated in 1970. But yeah, they came down and rooted for the Bengals and rooted for Paul Brown because we still loved Paul Brown and you know. He's still a football icon to this day, and he's he's still the architect of all those great Browns teams, you know, in the late '40s and and through the '50s and into the mid '60s. You could argue, really, even though he wasn't there, a lot of what he did, you know, right. was the key to their success in '64. That's my little history take. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, that's interesting. Yeah, those are in-house C-3PO. Yes, <laughs> uh, man. I, I remember like when uh, well, 
Carson Palmer and uh, Hushman Zada and Chad Johnson were on the scene and just how horrible we were and then how good we were out of nowhere. Do you think we're close to being back to that level or, uh, you, I mean, a couple more years? Or It just seems like they were so dang exciting and th- there could be an 80-yard touchdown pass on any any given play. I don't know. I mean, I mean you think that that our newly found youth, you know, T Higgins and whatnot, you think we're, we're getting our way back there or. I think they can. I mean, what's the, what's the similarity there? You, you take a quarterback number, a Heisman winning quarterback, number one, overall, once you've got that piece in place, everything else can kind of fall in around it. Now, Marvin, like Zach was a first time head coach, but he had, he had a lot more experience. I mean, he had won a super bowl as a defensive coordinator and, I think they can get back to that, but you look at you know Marvin's first year, they went eight and eight. They they, they were horrible in two thousand two. They draft Carson Palmer and they sit him. They don't play him at all that first year. They let John Kittner run things and they yeah. go eight and eight. So you could just kind of see right off the bat that it was kind of the new sheriff in town with Marvin Lewis, and and things kind of took off really quickly. And really, when it when it really turned around in the Marvin era was that O four game. I believe it was 04 when the Chiefs came to town 9 and 0 and Chad Johnson predicted the win and they delivered and they won it and the, it just took off after that they had that great year in 05 when they they could have gone all the way until Carson's knee injury. I mean you could you could maybe draw some parallels to this week where they're going to Pittsburgh to play an undefeated Steelers team. No one's predicting a win. But if they figure out a way to, to get this win and now all of a sudden you've beaten a Titans team that was in the AFC championship game last year when it was five and one when you beat them and then you beat a Steelers team that's undefeated, the only undefeated team in the league, you win those two games back to back. Then I think everybody starts believing and you could really see this thing take off. Yeah. And I mean, with Pittsburgh having a hard time with Dallas, uh, I mean, yeah, they pulled it out, but. I don't, I don't know if that's going to bring in a little mental block where they have some self-doubt creep in or if they're going to be like, oh, use it as a wake-up call and beat us by 40 points. Yeah, I wonder how many Bengal fans were rooting for the Steelers in that game because that's the last thing you want if you're a Bengals fan is for the Steelers to go down there and lose to a bad Cowboys team and then you got to play a bunch of pissed-off Steelers <laughs> the following week. Yeah. Um, I, but, but, again, I, I don't know. That, that just may not be in a Bengal fan's DNA to root yeah, no, the Steelers. Cowboys all, all the under, way. Under any circumstances. I hate Cowboys. Uh, do you think that, um, you, you know, you were saying that the, the, the there in the, was that, you know, maybe they'll be motivated to play better because they, you know, came close to losing. Uh, do you think the Bengals will be able to kind of break down that film and see? Because the, the Cowboys seemed to thwart Ben in a lot of spots during that game, where he seemed unthwartable the first seven games of the season. Yeah, well, he had a little bit of a, a knee injury in that game, and I I wonder how much that was hampering him, and and how much it's going to continue to hamper him. And now he's on the COVID list. He doesn't he doesn't have COVID. He's he's listed as a a close contact of a, a player that did contract it, but he can't practice all week. I mean, he's he's going to be at home the, this whole week, and so that that has to he he can go into the facility and get treatment for his knee but he can't practice. So that's that's going to be a big thing to watch and see how serious that knee injury is because that it kind of felt that way all season was if anything happened to Ben and at his age that's always you always wonder about an injury that that that, that Steelers team could fall apart. It, their defense is so good, but the, we saw it last year when Ben went out they just were not the same team. So that that'll be that'll be something um, I, I I wish I had this number for you guys right now. I've gone back and looked, and historically the Bengals, you would think teams would be better coming off a bye because you've got that that week of rest and you got that little extra time for the coaches to prepare and game plan for the upcoming opponent. But but really they're not. They've they've kind of been the opposite. They've been uh, they've had a losing record after buys. So. Again, when you're looking at history, you kind of throw some of it out because it is a new coaching staff and new quarterback, and and it's kind of a new era. But um, I, I don't think it'll hurt that they they had. If if you had to pick when you want your bye week, I think everybody would pick week nine. You know, you right at the midpoint of the season, you've got you've got a bunch of data to go off of and kind of see where you're doing things right, where you're doing things wrong. You got a chance to get healthy once people are getting nicked up, which looks like is going to be the case. I think Sam Hubbard's going to play this week, maybe. 
Bobby Hart's back, but I would expect Jonah Williams and, and Trey Hopkins to be back. The, the Bengals are getting healthy. Steelers might be going the other way, not just Ben's knee injury, but they had three other guys that are on the COVID list that can't practice this week. And then the backup tight end who actually has COVID, who won't, will not be able to play because of the 10 day protocol. So there's everything's lined up for him this week to, to maybe pull the upset, but it's just, I, I, I can't pick it. There's no way I can pick them to win in Pittsburgh, but I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if it happens either. I would take the over in this game. That's for, for sure. <laughs> Uh, and second, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if if Ben is struggling, you saw that with the Dallas game that that played out a little bit lower scoring than I think a lot true. of people anticipated. Yeah. And that that and that that Pittsburgh defense is as good, if not better, than Baltimore's. And we saw what Baltimore did holding the Bengals to three points. Um, I'm, I'm I, I would save your money there. I'm not sure I would go with the over. Uh, well, like you said, though, if you know if, if Burrow gets inspired, man, he could. Uh, although he's facing a much tougher defense, and if, I'm also basing it on the fact that the Bengals' defense is, is a bit suspect. But it's I just uh, remember it's a four o'clock game, so that's a nationally yeah. televised game. It's yeah, it's weird though. There, there's actually more four o'clock games this oh, week there? than there are one o'clock games. Oh, but they um, moved it to four, which is unusual for yeah, an East they Coast did. Masters too. That's what it was. They all the these all these four o'clock games are on Fox because the Masters is on CBS. So I don't I don't ever I've, I've there have been Bengal Browns games in the past that have been flexed over to Fox. I don't ever remember a Bengal Steelers game being on Fox. Ah, uh, yeah, I was wondering about that because usually I thought it was the um, you know traditionally CBS carries the AFC and mm-hmm. NFC is carried by Fox and occasionally I guess they would swap because um, the AFC is in smaller markets overall than the NFC is so Fox was nice and would give CBS some of the games and vice versa but I didn't realize that was because of the Masters that they, this was all getting flip flopped around. Going to be strange to have the Masters in November, but what has been strange I- this year? Darren and I were supposed to be at the practice round yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was our day. Why didn't you go? Were you not allowed? No, no public. Ah. Uh, I won the lottery this year. Does it carry over? Do you get to, does it, it carry does. next year? Oh, that's yeah, good. it does. Oh, yeah. That's good. But it's one of those things where it's like you dream forever of going. <laughs> and even though you still are under the impression you're going to get to go next year, every time I see the commercial or something, I'm like, no, oh, I'm supposed to be there. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we actually we got access to the Masters merch store. So, you know, because they have all the merch printed and ready to roll, but, you know, no fans. So mm-hmm. they still want to give you access to that. One of the things for 150 bucks, you could buy – uh, like a tub of uh, pimento cheese, chicken salad, and cups, popcorn cups yep. with the Masters logo. You could have your own tailgate Watch with party. Yeah. actually from Augusta, which I don't know how good pimento cheese ships UPS, but uh, <laughs> I, thought, I was like, ah, that's pretty wild. So tell us a little bit about like the, the day in the life of uh, uh, Jay Morrison. Like if it, if it wasn't, uh, you know, a COVID year, would you be traveling with the team? Or are you down watching every practice? Like how, how involved do you get? Or you just stay on Twitter and just kind of make articles out of your favorite tweets or no. I don't know, like, yeah, in a regular year, we're, we're down there uh, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for practice Monday, just for open locker room and, and press conferences coming off the game the day before uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, there's well, there's always an open locker room around 45 minutes, so you can get in there and talk to guys you need to talk to. It, we don't have that this year. They 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 wheel them out in Zoom press conferences, and everybody has access to the same players. You can't just pull a guy off to the side and you know work on a story that nobody else is working on. Um, that that makes it tough. But um, and yeah, we do we travel if it's a if it's a drivable game, we'll leave Saturday afternoon and go to. Detroit or Cleveland or Pittsburgh, one of those sites. If it's a if it's a game that you got to fly to, usually catch a flight Saturday morning and, and get to the the city. And then all the traveling media gets together the night before the game. We have we we usually the Bengals are really cool about this. They're actually there's a couple ways that they're cool and different about this. They they will allow you to fly on the team flight for free. None of the print reporters take them up on that because it's if you do that you are you are on the plane coming home an hour after the game and that's just not the best writing environment especially if you're you know you're writing about the team having lost and you happen to be sitting next to a player <laughs> reading over your shoulder about <laughs> you 
So, but all the TV guys do it. The the TV uh, re, the TV cameramen and reporters they 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 typically do fly with the team and then fly back home that night. Uh, we'll fly commercial. Everybody gets together at the team hotel. The Bengals allow the the media to stay at the team hotel on the team rate, and um, that that way we're all in the same place. You actually end up getting some good feature stories, just kind of interacting with guys in the lobby and at the hotel bar or whatever it might be. You see them out walking the streets and, and going to um, you know whatever the the tourist attractions are in that city. Um, it's just a good way to kind of see them outside of the locker room and not have a a, a microphone in their face grilling them. You just get to talk to them as men and you get some interesting stories that way. And that's, that's all gone by the wayside this year. The, the, the teams don't even there. Once they land, they take a bus to the hotel. They go in a separate entrance. They go up to their rooms and the players do not leave their rooms the entire time they're there. They may go to a ballroom on another floor to do a walkthrough or have meetings or meals, things like that. But they are not allowed to leave the hotel. They're not allowed to be down in the common area, in, you know, in the lobby. Uh, if they've got family and friends in to see the game, they can't interact with them. So it's, it's, it's really different this year. We can still go to practice. I live in Hamilton, so it's about a 35-minute drive down and then a 35-minute drive home just to watch 30 minutes of practice, which is mostly stretching. The open, the period open to the, the media, we don't see them really running any plays. You see stretching and you see position drills. So it's just not worth it to do that uh, a whole lot. But hopefully hopefully next year that gets relaxed. But I, I think there's, there's a lot of trepidation or a lot of concern that are we ever going to get back into locker rooms? Cause now these, these players, you know, they've, they've got a, they said, Hey, it worked last year where the, the media wasn't in the locker room and, and who knows where COVID's going to be next year. If it's still going to be a mild concern or major concern, it's just, I could see them using this as a springboard to, to keep the media out of the locker room. And I, I hope that's not the case. And I think, readers and fans and listeners should hope that's not the case too because it, it is important to be in there and and interact with these guys and, and get get real talk from them um and not the sanitized quotes that they give on a zoom because they don't really know who's watching and they really have to watch what they say do you feel like you've uh you know built those relationships to where you know guys are actually i don't know about excited but you know not they're not like running from you they don't see you coming and run the other way uh like oh god here comes jay again no i, I do um that it, it, takes some time to build up right well and part of that is just being there every day um they, they see your face they they get familiar with you i i think the other thing is the they going back to marvin they've been great about this is they they allow us to talk to all the assistant coaches you know, and whenever they're coming off the field, we can grab a coach and talk to them. And when you do that, you're usually doing it in the hallway where the team walks in and before they go in the locker room. So they, they see you talking to coaches. So I think that just the players kind of feel like, hey, if if the coaches are from if the coaches are OK talking to these guys, we should be, too. And I don't think I don't think a lot of them read what we write, but their friends and family do. And if you say something, if you rip a guy or you say something that's really unfair, it's going to get back to them. And I, I think the fact that if they know that, that the, those kind of, you're not writing those kind of things that aren't, I mean, you can be critical, but don't, don't be unfair. Um, I just think it, it, it does. It, it leads to that relationship. You, you get got, you say, Hey, you know, I'm not going to write this, but I'm just curious about this. And sometimes guys will tell you stuff off the record. And you know, they, if, if you stay true to that and you don't use it, then that builds respect. And I remember a case a couple of years ago, Billy Price told me how much he appreciated because I, I was unclear on a play. And I was like, well, what was supposed to happen on this play? Who's responsible? I, I've never played offensive line. And he just said, I love that you asked me that question because a lot of writers would just say, oh, he screwed up on this play. But you you care enough to ask what should have happened, what the plan was. So just the the, the questions you ask, the, the your presence, I, I think there's just a lot of things you can do to to build those relationships. And and it, it a lot of it comes with time. It's it's hard for for guys People in this business jump around all the time and, and you cover a team for three or four years and you move to the next city and, and cover a different team. And that's really hard to, to jump into a new locker room. But having been there since 2012, this is my ninth season. Some of these guys have seen me every day of that they've been there. Guys like A.J. Green. And it's tough this year with the rookies because the rookies have no idea who we are, including Joe Burrow. That's 
that's been a disappointment, not really kind of getting to know him as a, as a guy, as opposed to just a, a quarterback up on a podium. But hopefully next year, things get back to a little bit more normal. Now, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, like, uh, like you've got Mo and Lance on the radio, and then you've got guys like you and C. Trent and Paul, you know, doing longer piece writing, you know, and then there's like the TV guys who are more just sort of recap. I know you've done kind of a little bit of all of it. Do you like what you're doing now the best with like writing long pieces and getting to tell stories that maybe people don't get from little sound bites and stuff after the games? Or do you, do you wish you had a, you know, a radio gig where you could be more opinionated with stuff or do those guys, are they, are they pressured to be opinionated because they have to have a take and they can't just tell a story or, or kind of report the facts, you know, cause I always wonder like when Mo or Lance have to say something bad about someone uh, and then see them, <laughs> like I always wonder how awkward that can be, you know, but do you like, do you like it if you can write stories that you sort of get to pick the tone of it and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I love it. I've, this is, I, I keep telling people, this is the, I, I, for so long, I just kind of resisted change like a lot of people do. And, and even when I got, I got offered a chance to join the athletic in early 2018 and I turned it down. I, you know, I had a pension with Cox newspapers and I'd been there for so long and these the startups come along all the time and, you know, you, you see them fizzle out and um, they made a run at me again that summer and, and I made the leap and I was really nervous and it's been the greatest thing I've ever done. It's, it's been the best job I've ever had. I, I love working here. I love the kind of work that we get to do. When I went to college, my goal was to go into TV. I wanted to go into broadcasting. I would get like C's and D's on my public speaking speeches. And then I would, being the lazy person I was, I would just turn around and turn those speeches in as compositions in English class and get an A. And I started thinking, yeah, maybe maybe the written <laughs> word is the way to go. And we we actually had a an advisor who was a former Detroit Tigers uh, beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And I went in and talked to him. And he said, if you like to write and you like sports, this is the best job in the world. And so I started pursuing the 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 print side of things. I've never gone into radio. I fully respect Lance and Mo. I think there are so many hot take artists out there, and I don't think those guys are like that. If if they take a stand, it's it's because they truly feel that way and uh, are putting their opinion out there, and they're not they're not doing it just to try to get phone calls to rile yeah. people up. And I do think they take kind of a common sense, and I love the fact that they they both grew up around here and they're actually Cincinnati fans at heart, and they're they're kind of the voice of the fans in this city and. Um, you know, I, Mo writes for us some as well, and I go on his show on Thursdays. I just, I think those guys do a great job. Um, and it's a job I've, I've never really wanted to do. I, I wanted to go into TV. I never really knew what it was. It was just something I wanted to do in college. But once I got into newspaper, I've, or print the print side of things, I, that's, it's just been my, my focus ever since I've never wanted to get into radio or the, the TV side of things. I, I, I like doing guest spots on TV and on radio, but I don't know that I would ever want to have my own show. They've got nice pipes. They do. They do. No, you do. You have a good, good voice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, um, do you see, like you were talking about how the, uh, you know, COVID might, they might, they might use this as a springboard to, you know, do the things they've always wanted to do. Like they've never been keen on having the media around the locker room. It's always kind of been my sense as a sports fan. Do you think it'll affect the the league and the game in other ways going forward that we haven't even thought about? You mean COVID itself? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. will there be things that they think, hey, we can do this now? And Yeah, like the way baseball got like kind of shoehorned all these things in that they've wanted to do for a while. Like, I feel like COVID is the reason we may have the designated hitter in the National League forever. Yeah. Well, the, we just saw it. The NFL just uh, passed that resolution yesterday that said if they don't play – the full 256 game schedule, then the, the then they're going to go to an eight team or eight playoff teams per conference instead of seven. And you know you see in college football now starting to talk about maybe we expand the the playoffs from four to eight teams just for this year only. Well, that that's that's not going to happen. There's no putting that toothpaste back in the tube. If if they expand it this year to uh, to 
adjust for COVID, it's, it's going to stay that way because it's going to be a great spectacle. I mean, eight playoff teams is better than four. So I, I do I, – I am interested to see what kind of changes they'll make. They, they've been – the NFL for so long has just had their head down and said, we're, we're going to get this season in. We're going to do it our way. I think now with all these cases cropping up and things, all the bye weeks are past most teams and you don't have that flexibility anymore to juggle the schedule. They're going to have to really – make some hard choices. And I don't know about, I don't know if we're going to see rule changes like we saw with, the, like you mentioned, the the DH and, and that type of stuff. But um, I, I do think there, there could be some, some lingering effects of this. If it, it just by nature, if you experiment with something and it works well, then maybe it sticks around, even if it's not by necessity going forward. Interesting. I do like the social distance, the, uh seats at paul brown though <laughs> yeah i mean having i feel bad for the guy who had to go around and zip tie all the seats that they didn't sell tickets for but i love being able to kick it and yeah they i, I noticed that, that first game it was what's that i was actually surprised at how much crowd noise there was uh during the cleveland game i mean yeah obviously it's not nearly as uh as, as crazy when the, the house is packed but yeah, yeah that uh, I've been surprised by that too. There are some games, but you don't know how much two is like is pumped in. It's weird. Some of these college games, it feels like no matter what the play is, the the volume goes up at the end of the play, and you're you're like it almost is like is there a fight going on? Is there something going on <laughs> after the play? Because the, the the noise just gets loud for some reason after the play. But uh, the the zip ties, I, I'm I'm with you there. I don't, I'd hate to be that person and. The week two game in Cleveland was the first time I had seen that. I actually made that road trip because I had worked out a – I was writing a story on Joe Burrow's parents, and that was the first time they were going to get to see him play in the NFL. And so I wanted to you know, go down in the seating bowl and get a picture of him and, and talk to him about the whole experience. And they had zip-tied with just these flimsy little zip-ties. So people were just breaking them. They're either cutting them or snapping them by throwing the seat down. And uh, I think Cincinnati learned from that because they used – much stronger zip ties. Yeah, industrial strength zip ties. Yeah, and they didn't do it like horizontally around. They did it vertically around, so it was much harder to snap. And it, it, it I, I think the fans have been pretty good. I always thought that was kind of a, a question mark. If you're going to socially distance, it's like, well, what's going to stop the guy up in the upper deck from moving down to to the better seats? If all these seats are open with, with the zip ties, and I think just people are more – you know, respectful and understand what's going on. And they're, they're staying in their, their, the seats that they were assigned, but the, the, the noise when watching on TV, I notice it more than being in person. Cause when you're in the press box, you can't really, it's, it's, it's muffled. You can't really tell how loud it is. Even in those games when there was a packed house and the crowd was roar and you don't really hear it. Cause it's just, it's it, it, you just, it, just the, the nature of the, the way that the press box is built with the, the glass, it, it's a, like a dull roar I noticed that uh, a practice this year, we we were sitting out watching practice and they were using the piped in crowd noise and I couldn't take it. Luckily, I had earplugs in my backpack from when I go on airplane or when I go on airplanes and I had to put those styrofoam earplugs in my ear because it was so loud. And I don't know if it's just because it was static and not real noise and it, it didn't ebb and flow. It was just a constant din. But yeah, it was kind of eye-opening me. I haven't, I haven't been in the stands for an NFL game in over a decade, and I, I guess my old ears couldn't take it. Well, um, this has been very educational. This has been a lot of fun. Um, uh, we only have one more order of business to get to, uh, I reckon. If uh, one of you fellows want to do the honors? Yeah, sure. So every, uh, every guest we ask to give us a code to let people save some money on their order. That code will be good for 20% off in store or online until the next episode comes out. So what would you like to pick to be the code word that people can use to save money? Hmm. Good question. Uh, I would, how about just athletic? All right. Yo, very good. As in uh, the athletic, as in the athletic. Okay. We'll just go with athletic and, uh, and where else can folks, so obviously they can go to the athletic, uh, but anywhere else they can follow. I, I caught up with you on Twitter. So there's that. And any yeah, other, you can, you can follow me on Twitter at J Morrison, A T H. And it's spelled out my full name, J A Y M O R R I S O N. And then A T H for athletic, obviously. And also with the athletic right now, we've, 
we've got a special. If, you, if you're not a subscriber, you click on one of my stories, uh, there'll be a link there and you can, you can, you can subscribe for $1 a week. Wow. So obviously that, that comes out to, to $4 a month and, um, you know, 48 or $52 a year. Uh, it's, I, I recommend it. I was a subscriber before I was an employee. I just, we have so many fantastic writers yes. and so many, so many interesting stories that you don't read anywhere else. Um, that, that I, I can't recommend it, uh, enough. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a great deal. $1 per week. Trent was the first person that I knew personally that, that went over. And I know Mo had, had kind of committed to doing some articles too, but Trent was the one who made the big leap and I did it in first to just sort of support him and, you know, kind of let him know like, Hey man, I'm whatever it takes to keep you writing. I'm on board. And then since then I've just become just, it's such a value. Like it is such a value the, the, all the content you get on there. And if anybody's listening, PF, I know this is you specifically that love, that loves fantasy football. I have, I have probably benefited a thousand percent in my fantasy football leagues from the, the data that they have on the athletic versus any magazine or any other website that I've ever tried to get to help me with like my draft or weekly picks like the athletic, like does it right. Yeah. We've got athletic guys that, that focus only on fantasy, but they also every week, like I still need to turn mine in, but every week they have a beat writers round table and they'll ask a question. And so the team, the guys that actually cover the teams that know them best will kind of give some insight uh, that week as to, you know, what, what might benefit fantasy players based on the players on, on that team. So we, that's one of the best things we do is the collaboration. A couple of weeks ago, the Bengals added a couple just back of the roster offensive linemen. And I reached out to the, the beat writers uh, from the teams that they used to be on and got some insight on who are these guys, what do they do well? And so just that, that, that cross pollinization of, of resources is, is another great reason because if you sign up for the athletic, you're not just getting Cincinnati, you're getting, you're getting everything. You're getting every writer in every city in every country that we, that we're in. It's re- it's really good stuff. I highly, highly recommend it. If you're not already subscriber subscribe. Cool. So, um, cool, man. Well, we appreciate the time for sure. I know that you're being pulled in every direction especially talking about this team because it's just there's so many questions and it's it's awesome that you gave us a few minutes this morning and that's exciting again too yeah it's going to be a fun team to cover the next few years that's for sure let's hope so yeah (laughs) all right thanks jay all right thanks jay all right right. great talking to you guys thanks Jay Morrison, yeah, so uh, not sure what it's going to look like now for the Bengals, uh, what with Burrow likely out for the season. I'm recording this uh, Monday morning, November 23rd, two days before we drop the podcast, but uh, it is not looking good. But, you know, guys have come back from, you know, injuries like this before, and uh, I got to tell you, I mean, I was, as a Browns fan and a a disinterested bystander in the Bengals here, uh, uh, very impressed, kind of wish he was our quarterback. You know, I think uh, he's actually certainly better than Baker Mayfield. I think overall he's going to, you know, should he come back from this injury, I think he'll he'll prove to be such. Now, there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast or someone you'd like to hear again on the podcast. Drop us an email, podcast at cincyshirts.com. Put podcast guest in the subject line and give us a little info about the person you'd like us to have on or have back on. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, as always, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Lots of good episodes back there, 145 five of them now, 146 with this one. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. And you can find vintage teas from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We've got like 32 cities or so, all the big ones. Uh, a lot of defunct teams like football, hockey, basketball, soccer, all that sort of affair. Uh, old shopping malls, restaurants, radio stations, that kind of thing. Lakes and T-shirts, but for those towns. 
pronouns. And again, the promo code for this episode is athletic. Just athletic, not the in front of it, just athletic. All lowercase, all uppercase. That part doesn't matter. You're going to use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. And you're going to follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye